0: Welcome to Younger Older, I'm Dave Wager, and I'm here with Zach Ellis. We were uh, talking the last program. Zach, for those that are just tuning in, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do again.
1: Photographer on the road, running around, meeting people, trying to make it happen.
0: Yeah, I encourage you to go back to relate365.com and download the other podcasts that we did. And give us your website again in case somebody wanted to contact you.
1: com. That's Zach with an H, so Z-A-C-H-E-L-L-I-S-Photography.com. I've spelled
0: your name at least three ways in my my context. Z-A-Triple-Q. Z-A-K and Z-A-C-H. So it is with an H and E-L-L-I-S.com? Dot com. Dot com. com. Okay. If you want to contact them, I think it would be really fun if you have a project, you're trying to figure out how to express yourself with pictures or video or just artistically, he'd be a good consult for you, I think. So contact them and give it a try. And uh, also if you're trying to teach kids, that was my idea as a teacher. If I've got young people, how young would you actually work with somebody?
1: Oh, man. I mean, with my with my nephew, Eliam out in New Hampshire, he's in first grade and he has a propensity for that. I put a camera in his hand right away running around. And even though the images might not be pristine, when he took his own with effort made and saw a product like what happened, it's incredible. So yeah, if, if you can hold the camera and there's interest, I would I would show up and, and have fun yeah. for sure.
0: So it'd be very interesting to uh, to get a hold of Zach and have him come over if you're homeschooling, which about half the nation is or three quarters or maybe ninety percent. I have no idea. It uh, might be something that's helpful to a family. So uh, that's Zach Zach Ellis with an H Zach Zach Ellis yeah. dot com. If I didn't know it, I
1: was yeah. gonna get an alley oop on this so I gotta think about like what application points there would be, but at least know if you're listening and it piques interest that I'm all over the place in the country. So there really isn't places that I won't end up in. And uh, if there's a wild hair idea, even if it doesn't happen, send me a message and yeah. I might have somebody to connect you with or whatever. There's no, if it's uh, if it's for fun and for, for the good of uh, people then, and it gets photography and art involved, I'm sure we could make something happen. Yeah, creative
0: happen. people are creative people. I mean, they just are, for example, in my life, I'm a creative person when it comes to uh, creating um, programs. Whether it be, we just put human foosball here, and I've had it in my mind for about two years, and, and uh, finally got the people around me that we could get it done. I mean, there's so many things in my brain all the time that we could do this, we could do that. Um, most of the time, it doesn't work, by the way. So you, you really need to be okay with failure. And I really am. I think when, when I grew up, when I failed at things, my dad never got on my case. He, was, he used to tell me, boy, you learned you can't do it that way. And he would laugh about it, and so would I, and that'd be the end of it. But it never stopped me from trying. I mean, I think, honestly, Zach, I invented skateboards. <laughs> Wait, I did. what? I did. I invented them. Because <laughs> after, when we used to, I grew up in Chicago, and we used to garbage pick. Uh, you know, the day the garbage went out in the alley, my brother and I'd go up and down the alleys. And, and if you could get roller skates, those were golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we would take stuff out of the garbage. We used to build bicycles and everything. I mean, we, we basically, that was our hobby. And go there. And, and so when we got roller skates, we would take it, we'd cut out a piece of plywood and screw it to the bottom of the plywood. And, and then we would use that and pull it behind a bicycle up and down the paved alleys as surfboards. <laughs>
1: that and, might be the invention and, and for real. And they never,
0: they didn't have skateboards back then. So when they came out with a skateboard, I thought, hey, cheaters, uh-huh. you just stole our idea. I'm sure they were somewhere. They're probably out in California or something. That's I didn't wild. know it. But uh, using
1: the rollerblade wheels attached to a piece of wood. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, well,
0: we used to do you know, one of the other fun things is we took a, a two by four, and we put roller skate wheels on the front and back of the two by four, and then put an orange crate on the front, and put two handles on it, and we would race down the hills, oh the, the streets in Chicago. We like just homemade luge. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we had guys at the bottom trying to. St- more in cars that were coming because you'd be going down chicago you know you'd be going down these hills don't listen to me any children that are uh, listening uh, right uh, now don't do this yeah but we'd be going down and you'd have to have guys by the streets because you're coming down there's no brakes. there's no stopping no stopping and you're just seeing how fast you can come down uh, uh, on, a, on a on a piece of wood that you screwed together with you know, roller skate wheels.
1: I'd show up to photograph that for sure. Yeah,
0: well, it, you, you know.
1: We, should, we could still do it. This hill's around here. Yeah, well, you know, that's <laughs> the
0: creativity. Up here, one of my favorite things we did was we built a, um, a, a, a glider that went underwater. We pulled it behind a, a fishing boat. So we had this two by four. Everything stemmed off the old two by four. It seems so like two it. Two by four. We put wings on it and Then we put piano hinges and made it so you can go up and down.
1: Oh, yeah. And then
0: we would attach an eyebolt to the front to a boat and we would just go down, and we would use this thing behind a boat to go up and down to the bottom of the lake, and then we would spin and do all kinds of stuff with it. It was no really way. a lot of fun. Um, anyway, creativity. See, mm. and that's what I'm getting at with, with the people listening. If you are stuck, you're, you're, in your, you're looking at your kids, you're trying to figure out at, at church or at, in your business, you're trying to figure out how can I be more creative and tell my story. That's where someone like yourself could come in, I think, because not just the picture aspect. But you, you're creative, mm-hmm. and you could you sit there and say, "Well, you ever think about this or that?" And, and uh, it's kind of fun to to be able to talk to people who don't have an agenda where they want to use you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When it can be something that, in my mind. I mean, I, I, I guess working in the arts in general was nothing I ever expected to do. So every step along the way, I keep realizing like, oh, I guess, well, this is what it means in some ways to be a photographer, or at least what the outcomes of doing that during a day and what a day looks like. And one of the things that uh, I think would be really fun to see cultivated in, in the next generation of people that that have a, a an interest, a propensity towards the arts, towards creativity is if you ever think that it might not have enough value or worth in doing that. Inherently, to be, I think, to be an artist properly means that you have to observe, in many ways, the most delicate, sensitive, beautiful things, which takes time to sit and observe. And it's decisions you even have to make, not knowing if anybody else is gonna care. So it's like saying, I think this is pretty. Do you also think that this is an interesting thing, a pretty thing, something worthy of celebrating in the midst of everything else? And think, well, for a kid, That also comes with the space to be in quiet, which if there's a still small voice that can show up in those moments, the creation of art almost necessarily gives you those spaces to be gaining your own agency, to be figuring out what is it that is important to me or what is it that presents itself as important to me. Maybe that God even brings up in your own mind because you gave Simply, I mean, it's a weird thing. Half of my days, if I don't have something else to do, I'll spend an enormous amount of time just walking around going, I don't know what will happen, but something's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And you know, let me ask you this. though: so if you're working with a kid, um, sometimes, you know, I grew up in the culture where they gave you, a, you know, every kid in the room got a trophy, everybody got a ribbon, everybody was successful at everything. And that's not necessarily true. I, I, I tell you today, I can't spell, I'm not an artist. There's some things I don't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, when my dad used to see me coloring in a book, he'd say, you know, Dave, those lines are there for a reason. You know, where when I was teaching, they said, don't ever tell a kid to stain the lines. Mm. You know, they're you're ruining their creativity. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, not everybody's an artist. Mm-hmm. We got to be OK with that. Yeah. You know, we have to be. But then, you know, those of us that aren't, we need to be OK with the fact that there are artists.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's an it, actual you know function. I mean, yeah.
0: It's a different part of the body. That's right.
1: all, And it's often not observed as that. And I don't want to call out the, the Christian community specifically because I think it shows up everywhere, but it is something that needs to be contended with in a sense for like, to be an artist, it means you have a lot of margin in your day. You get to kind of in some ways, do whatever, but what you have to remember is nobody can actually do that without having to need reasons underneath it for bigger purposes than just I'm making pretty things for the, the the sake of making pretty things. And if you just wake up and observe the world at all, whether it's with your ears, with your eyes, with your sense of touch, if it's not something that grew naturally, the amount of created beauty that you observe, not created, but maybe made beauty by humans that points or can point you back to to creator to whatever it is that is bigger than the current moment boy it's a lot of things that i casually observe and then not realize that somebody gave their time their energy their actual life to making that thing right and that's a function for sure
0: right so let's say i come to you and you just did a great project and i go Yeah, that's nice you want a burger right it happens a lot are, are you are you bothered by that
1: earlier on it was harder to stomach um i had i was i think blessed with enough artists earlier on that were they were giving me some hints as to what could happen with any given amazing idea that you go and do and then you can't control the outcomes but i've had to develop a muscle of sorts to go while i'm doing this and it's a lot of work i am already okay with the outcomes being something that maybe only between me and the ether me and god that i still know was right yeah, to you do you want
0: people to lie to you and come to you like like they do to a lot of kids and say oh isn't that great you're so talented and they don't really get it right well you, I, you can sell right lying. away you can, you can you know, feel I that mean, pretty quick. The, the truth is, not everybody's wired the same. Mm-hmm. The fact that I respect your creativity, your art, doesn't mean I'm going to understand it all and even agree with you. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a principle. I'm going to share an old man principle with you. The reason I think you and I can talk is because you aren't continually offended at what I say. <laughs> I think that our nation right now is addicted to being offended. Mm-hmm. which makes it impossible to talk to anyone about anything because they immediately tell you they're offended. And that closes the conversation mm-hmm. right away. So now it doesn't matter what I'm saying. doesn't matter what I'm thinking. I've offended somebody. And the only appropriate thing to them is to apologize to them and, and never say it again, even though I disagree 100% with them. Right. And I, am not allowed to say it anymore.
1: And it does call into question when there might be continually offense happening, regardless of if it's justified or not. You got to wonder, well, if if you don't actually want to be offended, then eventually you provide the means for that offense to be dealt with, to be addressed. Right. With the other person in relationship to. But if there's outcomes that are. Kind of like nice little outcomes of what you might get with the perfect balance of still being able to survive your own life, but being a victim of sorts or offended by a lot of things, and it gets you something. Then that's a dangerous game to play. It becomes very codependent of like, well, I have all these specific things; they're just my stuff, but like, I kind of really need them, and I need you to help attend to them. And you got yours, and so we just end up dancing around attending to those things. Okay,
0: do you see it as I see it? Okay, you you travel the country; I stay in my little studio and read about the country and talk to people in the Midwest here. Uh, do you see that people are, are addicted to being offended?
1: I see a mixture. I see a lot of people that I think uniquely, if you benefit from being offended, then it's really hard to get out of that cycle. But if your life is already such where you aren't being benefited or gifted anything by that offense, like you say, well, this bothers me, and somebody goes, well, tough, you know, tough cookies, you gotta do X, Y, Z anyway. It's a lot harder to remain perpetually offended because you have to bear the weight of offense and then still do the stuff you got to do. Right. So I think and I'm not going to categorize it at all to sections of the country. But while driving from New York to L.A. over about six weeks, you can just you can see within specific cultures and sometimes specific to place varying degrees of how much offense is like labeled as acceptable almost like how much can this culture bear each other's burdens of unique things that detract from the work we actually have to do right and and we were talking before like it's the meetings thing it's the it's like doing work that has nothing to do with the work it's work that's tending to the thing that in some ways kind of alleviates you from ever actually having to do a thing
0: right yeah what's interesting to me is that again i i've talked many people in ministry and and often someone will look at me and go well you're you know you're you're a Country bumpkin, white guy, that you you have no idea what we've gone through, mm-hmm. whether it be Black Lives Matter whatever it might be. And I sit there and go, well, you really just made a statement I didn't even know in my life. You don't, you know anything about me?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I grew up in Chicago. I played sports all my life with all different people. Got along with them great, by the way. Mm-hmm. No no problems uh, in that sense. But here's what you don't know: I had a dream. I wanted to be a teacher in a Chicago public school in in the Shriner's Cripple Hospital. That's what I wanted to do. Hmm. Because when I was a kid, I was in a wheelchair, and my doctor was the head doctor for that hospital. And by the time I got in college, I was able to play football. I thought I could go back there and teach those kids who are in that hospital and give them hope.
2: Hmm.
0: But I was told by the Chicago people that I was talking to in the Board of Education, whoever it was, don't bother applying because you're a white male. Mm -hmm. I never got my dream job. But you know what else I didn't get was any support for being somebody who was going to be offended.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I went and and they hired me in the suburbs, and that's where I taught. So you can call me a white boy who worked in the suburbs who didn't know, but nobody would let me work where I wanted to work because of the skin color that I had and because of my gender. Right. So I understand that. Mm -hmm. However, I also understand you can't live your life offended. Right. If they don't want to hire me, I'll go somewhere where they want to hire me. I mm-hmm. I didn't have to sit there and argue with them and start a campaign and sue them or anything. I didn't have to do that. Right. It was just, okay, fine. I I understand what you're trying to do. There's I understand the idea of, well, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't ever discriminated against.
1: Right. It's interesting because in that culture in those days, the offense that you was put upon you, which still in some ways is are very much not right, it's not correct, it's not flourishing for anybody, But offense in those days did not bring with it an actual currency of power. Right. Whereas right now, uniquely so, as far as I can ever, even in my short amount of time on this earth, like the offense being offended, even just referencing that holds an enormous amount of power. It's almost just like throwing a a haymaker punch. Right. Where if somebody drops that bomb and right now it gets dropped almost immediately, everything else after that is, in the level of subjective we, we're not going to land anywhere it's just trying to get back to a baseline which is almost never accomplished and you're too tired at that point anyway to do anything else yep. well, it's hard
0: it, you know i go back to scriptures and i see that the, the, you know we were told that the gospel would be offensive that the bible would be and it, it basically is it, it says that dave wager is somebody who's sinful okay so i need to accept that mm-hmm. if i'm going to be offended by that then i can never even come to god and here's what I've learned through the years, Zach. One of the most important things that I've ever learned is that I'm a depraved man. Because, because of that, I can enjoy God's mercy and his grace. If I'm not convinced of my own depravity, I can never enjoy those two things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you look at the Apostle Paul, that's what he did. He was a guy who, if you read the book of Romans through, you'll see this guy's amazed at God's mercy and grace. I mean, that whole book is about God's grace. And you look at it, you go, "Why is he so into this God's grace thing?" Mm-hmm. Well, because he murdered people.
1: It's so radical to think, even for me, because I know how bad I can get or how bad it can go. And so then, still, then this radical feeling of like whatever that 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 alleviation of the burden that would otherwise keep you down permanently only comes with that grace, right? And in inside of that, for offense to happen, I think like it has to come back to naming naming the biggest target that you could name if we have to all live in the same soup even if we might we only don't want to admit that we want the same we want to be on the same story until the point at which it conflicts with what i want to do but really when when everything is so chaotic and yet we're all still doing relatively the same life cycle you got to wonder after a while don't we want to be on the same story don't we want there to be one story that works that we can all be on and in many ways scapegoat opinion and power to that thing outside of everybody and go well now when we disagree it's not just my opinion versus yours or my power versus yours it's there's a thing we reference and it speaks into what's happening between right. us when you don't have that boy it, it's just never-ending tending to things
0: i yeah, the fun thing for me is I, I look at someone like yourself the apostle paul myself and i think you know what god knows everything about our hearts he knows everything we've ever done he knows all of our thoughts and he still loves us Okay, that's why mercy and grace are so important. Mm-hmm. When you look at that, when, when you realize that, then you come to God and say, wow, thanks. But if you are going to be offended with God and say, how dare you say it? No, now, now I can't even come to him because I'm offended. I, I can't come and admit the truth. You know, if you, if you or somebody grew up in a really tough situation and you just looked at me and said, you don't understand how I grew up, I'd probably say, you're right. Now, now where do you want to go with that? Because you're right, I don't. Mm-hmm. So are we going to spend forever trying to, you know, so I can just relate to you, you can relate to me, or can I assume this? Can I assume that you grew up with sinful people and and the sinful people around you affected how you think and, and your life and everything about that is tough at times? Mm-hmm. Can I assume that because every human on the planet has experienced that? Uh, different degrees, I understand, mm-hmm. but everyone's experienced where people have used them, hurt them. So we can either live in this pool of being offended, or we can say, okay, that's what happens to a depraved, sinful group of people. Mm-hmm. Not only that, the, one of the hardest things to grab is the idea, like, you know, someone might say, well, I don't want to, you know, God must not be God because he allows that to happen. And you've heard me say this before, Zach, though, love demands this. Love demands that we can either choose or not choose God. Right. right. There's no robotics going on here. And and so since it's a relationship, there, there are things you have to understand about the relationship. God doesn't need Dave Wager. He wants me. Hugely different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And all of a sudden, my appreciation for who God is and my, my awe of God starts to climb because I understand he doesn't need me, wants me. I understand his mercy is important. His grace is important. And b- before you know it, I'm enjoying God like I was meant to. And then I can enjoy others. I can enjoy your diversity in life that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I don't have to say, I'm jealous. I don't have it. I don't get it. You don't live like I live. I don't need any of those lines. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, personally, I wouldn't be living out of a car. You're, you're living out of a car. Right. I think, okay, at least the seat recline. I mean, you have somewhere to sleep. Oh, yeah, there's a bed in there. Okay, sure. There you go. So the bottom line yeah. really is, okay. That, that's cool, that that to you right now is your life and what you're doing.
1: Especially if it's for a common goal. I always, the mo- the moments that I feel the most profound jealousy or the most desire to compare, which really makes me miserable in about eight seconds flat, is when I think that there are potentially better ways of doing this that aren't in the trajectory that I'm on, even though I'm invested in it. But if whatever it is that I'm doing that has nothing to do with what you do or what anybody else does can still be aiming in the same direction. I think that is it's the work that I can't bear myself to constantly tell myself, don't be jealous, don't be comparing. But if there was like potentially different ways for somebody else to win more then I I had enough energy, I'm going to try to do that, too. But if for us to be all be on the same page and go, well, that necessitates different ways of doing it. If it's still the same outcome, I can look and go, well, we're, aim- we're going to the same place here. So thank goodness he's doing it a different way rather than maybe his way is the other way that I didn't know about. Now, I got to start mimicking that. And in the meantime, I'm jealous of it because he's benefiting more than me. Right. It's never ending. But that even I mean, and I think it's important to state amongst the Christian community in contrast to any other group of people, there is still an enormous amount of work to be done to be continually not naming what my idea is, but renaming what God's idea and plan is in I'm um, like amongst a group to go, are we still on this page? Are we yeah. still aiming in this direction? So it's not like you're just automatically I mean, that's would be if that was the case, you'd never need another meeting again. This right. silver birch would run as smooth as grease without anything happening because Well, that's what god wants and so it's automatic right Right. no yeah no not even close i think that's that makes this life a lot more real for me um and working with the camera running across the country interacting with people where i have to say i don't know where you're coming from yet i still have a certain amount of stereotypes that'll probably at least help me survive the first five seconds of not knowing anything but after that stops and i have to know you as a person I feel infinitely more equipped to do this because of the some of the maybe a transcendent assumptions that do seem applicable. Like when you do see it as one thing and we're all on the same page and we're not actually all incredibly so uniquely different that I could never understand you. Then that means secretly without saying boo walking up with a camera. I can at least make some guesses that will bring about connection that I know you want. I want that's like it's in there.
0: Plus, you really don't know. History on people. I mean, you don't. No. And and but here's what you do know for sure: they're sinful, and they've been affected by sin. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how. I mean, it's interesting. A group will come up, and I'll speak to them. There's one group in particular. Whenever I do, I tell them, Yeah, my dad was a pastor in Lawndale area of Chicago. Now Lawndale's where the Latin Kings came out of. It. It's a tough area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where our church was. Right. I I was there. I walked the streets. Mm-hmm. You did. I thought you were a white guy living. It. You didn't ask about my history. right? I was in a wheelchair at one point. I was a crippled kid. I was the kid everyone made fun of at school. I was in Lawndale area. You didn't ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, now you can't be a victim in life. You can't keep being somebody who says, you know, my, I can't make it because my life has all these variables in it that don't work. Right. Now, if you honestly believe that God loves you and that he made you, then there are no mistakes there. So today when I'm doing radio, whatever it might be, here's the fun part. He's given me all these experiences that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. People might not even know it. In fact, my, my wife will laugh at this one. We used to have a, a motorcycle group come up here. Mm. You know, I, I like old mo. You know, if I had my way, I'd have a big Harley beard, big Fu Manchu hanging off my face with a full-length fur coat, man. I'd, <laughs> be out there, I'd be out there hitting the highway. But my wife doesn't want me driving a motorcycle, so I shave. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those things right? not, not that important to me but when the when the group came up i i would be sitting with them and and talking to them and say yeah i used to own a, a, a harley and oh yeah man he's one of us you know and i'd be mm-hmm. so tell us about your bike well i it was only a 125 enduro it's the only one harley ever made they start laughing but uh-huh. immediately i'm in with them right because i had a harley and they thought it was hilarious that i was relating to him by owning a Enduro, yeah. Um, I, I used to have a Honda. You know some other things that I drove. And when I got married, my wife's uh, dad was a doctor. He didn't like the fact that I drove a motorcycle, so I quit. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't all that important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's it's a, it's one of those things where you go, boy a guy used to be cripple. was in Longdale. He drove a motorcycle, played football, played hockey, and now he's this old white guy teaching from the butt." By- yeah, but everyone has a background,
1: right? And all of those things, like when you even just name Harley. You got to wonder, like, why does that mean something? Why is that in some ways a tool where you can show up elsewhere, where you don't know anybody, but because you do this one thing, there's an, uh, you will feel an extra level of acceptance extended to you that you wouldn't have gotten if you just walked up just without a, without a motorcycle, without anything else. And I think it has to come to like, there's certain things that when we choose voluntarily to do them at the cost of something else, and it comes with life experience like people know then that at least when you're walking up, oh, you were doing this thing and I've been doing it. So you have to feel some similar things. We have to have a couple more layers of understanding inherently there. But yeah. to have more and more of those, I think like it only comes out of a vulnerability to say, this isn't as perfect as I would like it to be or display it to you to be. And I'm willing to show you that. And when people are shown that in any given way, like for you to show, well, I'm things are going pretty well. It doesn't look like... Everything, anything is falling apart from the outside, but yet look at the history. Look at the things that have happened that were moments that could have broken you, and therefore, what? Well, my life is imperfect as yours yeah. is too. Well,
0: in, in fact, I think people have asked me I have narcolepsy, and they've, they've, have you ever prayed to ask God to remove it? And it's like, sure, but you know what? He hasn't, and that's fine. See, mm-hmm. there's something there. Then there's something good there, mm-hmm. I, and that's what I have to see. But it also allows me to relate to people. Oh, you got a disease that can't be cured you're right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've also had a heart attack. I've had pulmonary embolism. I I understand the stuff. Mm-hmm. Here's what's interesting. When, when my daughters went to a college and one went overseas for a while, I, I encouraged them. I said, here's what you need to do. You need to be genuinely interested for other people. Don't tell them about you all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, they both told me at one time, boy, that was the best advice. Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I bet you this. I bet you that tons of people told you all about their life, and nobody knows who you are." Yep. And they said, "Yeah."
1: My dad said the same thing. It, people love to talk about themselves, so it, when in doubt, ask people questions, and yep. you will always be—you'll always be yeah. a friend. Now,
0: in a way, that's sad. Yeah. Because here's here's what I'm thinking. Okay, what you need to do is is stop, and and what I need to do is stop being so much about me that my whole world has to revolve around me. Mm. Because that's not how we were made. Mm-hmm. And I don't care whether you're in the ghetto or you're in uh, you know, Honduras or whether, whether you're in the United States. It doesn't matter. It's the same problem. Mm-hmm. It takes on different coats, different ideas, whatever. But it's the same problem. Mm-hmm. Sin is the same problem. That's the same problem. Being offended, same problem. Mm-hmm. You know, however it works, we, we learn certain words to manipulate people and get them to do what we want them to do.
1: Common problem is a lot easier to address uh, with a group of people. If you, if you share it in common, it becomes a whole other thing.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Zach, for spending time with us here at Relate365.com on Younger Older. You can get this podcast right at that website, or you can go to Zach Ellis Photography and contact him. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Do you mind if-